The sun has dipped just below the horizon, casting everything around you in a blue lens. The only sounds you can hear are the soft crashing of the waves, the drone of the insects, and your own footsteps. A noise causes you to freeze. You hear an animal call. You think it's an animal call. Doesn't sound like any native animals in the area, though. You continue on your way, faster, not wanting to be outside in the dark anymore. The noise gets louder and louder around you, and something moves in your periphery. Your gaze shoots out into the water and your stomach drops when you see there's something in it. You direct your phone's flashlight at the shape, hoping it's just some driftwood and you can laugh it off later. You are terribly wrong. Their predominant color was a grayish green, though they had white bellies. They were mostly shiny and slippery, but the ridges of their backs were scaly. Their forms vaguely suggested the anthropoid, while their heads were the heads of fish with prodigious bulging eyes that never closed. At the sides of their necks were palpitating gills, and their long paws were webbed. They hopped irregularly, sometimes on two legs and sometimes on four. I was somehow glad that they had no more than four limbs. Their croaking, baying voices, clearly wed tar articulate speech, held all the dark shades of expression which their staring faces lacked. Quite an unsettling image, no? These frogfish creatures come right from Lovecraft's lexicon of nightmarish entities. The frogfish, or deep ones as they are better known, star in Lovecraft's novel The Shadow Over Innsmouth. With the disheveled Massachusetts fishing town setting and almost primitive acting deep ones, I found it quite surprising that Lovecraft's theme for the story was a warning about technology and scientific development. But in this podcast, I plan on revealing everything I know about Lovecraft's allusions to scientific development, as well as a few he possibly wasn't even aware of, without the whole devolving into insanity bit. I hope. Well, my name's Caroline Rupert, and this is All is Fair in Lovecraft and War. Now, I should start this analysis off with a disclaimer. Lovecraft wasn't the best person. He was known for his closed-mindedness, racism, anti-Semitism, and general fear of everything he didn't understand. In the shadow over Innsmouth, there are hints to his fear. Horror is bringing up what you fear in life, after all. This presents itself as the Deep Ones themselves, and the narrator's general distaste for uh, interracial mixing. But today, I'm not focusing on this topic. Instead, I want to talk about what Lovecraft wanted folks to discuss, tech and scientific development. I just wanted to acknowledge Lovecraft's beliefs and that some folks may be uncomfortable with them. Though, I believe you wouldn't listen to this podcast unless you're interested about his work, right? Anyway, time to talk about old Zadok. Old Zadok was fast lapsing into stark raving, and I held my breath. Poor old soul. To what pitiful depths of hallucination had his liquor, plus his hatred of the decay, alienage, and disease around him, brought that fertile, imaginative brain? Old Zadok Allen is a tragic figure in the shadow over Innsmouth. He was declared a lunatic by the outsiders that worked in Innsmouth, and not very liked by his own people for his propensity to spill the tea about Innsmouth to anyone who gives him alcohol. On the bright side, this turned out to be very helpful for the narrator, and pretty painful for me because I had to read god knows how many pages of drunken, heavily accented phonetics. Yeesh. Anyway, our narrator gets old Zadok to tell him a story, but Zadok slowly dissolves into hysterics in the process. 
As per usual in horror stories, our protagonist doesn't believe the drunken, insane ramblings of some random guy who's actually telling the truth. Wild. But Zadok's final actions to the narrator were pleading for him to get out before running inland and disappearing for that evening. Who can be sure of reality after hearing things like the tale of old Zadok Allen? The government men never found poor Zadok and have made no conjectures to make as to what became of him. Where does madness leave off and reality begin? Where does the madness leave off and reality begin? A good question. Zadok was someone who has been around for a long time and seen many things, but his knowledge is taken as the inane rambling of a madman. It was his knowledge that led to his downfall. Because he shared what he knew about Innsmouth and its residents to the outsider, I use that term loosely, he earned the ire of the Deep Ones and the townsfolk, maybe even leading to his own death. Lovecraft created Zadok's character to serve as a warning. The knowledge that comes with new technology can be dangerous. If you know too much about something, you risk the attention of unsavory people, and there's also the chance that no one will believe you. Interestingly enough, Lovecraft has a point. Many revolutionary science concepts and technology weren't taken seriously at first. Hell, the heliocentric model was so revolutionary that two separate philosophers were locked in their own homes for proposing it. I'd also love to give a modern example, but it seems like we're stuck trying to prove things that have already been proven, like some geometry student's first math proof. Marvelous. Anyways, now we talk about railroads. The American railroad system is a fascinating thing, but we don't have all day, so I'll make things quick. Basically, trains were dying out in the 30s. This book was written in the 30s. Good? Good. Because they were going out of fashion, the town Innsmouth, which used to be a railroad stop, had their stop discontinued. It was probably a mix of outdated technology and all the creepy people, but they left the train tracks behind, which was conveniently the way that the narrator escaped the deep ones. Then I thought of the abandoned railway to Rolly, whose solid line of ballasted, weed-grown earth still stretched off to the northwest from the crumbling station on the edge at the river gorge. There was just a chance that the townsfolk would not think of that, since its briar-choked desertion made it half impassable, and the unlikeliness of all avenues for fugitive to choose. In a way, the narrator ended up utilizing old technology to aid in his escape, but even the trains failed to help him truly escape because he suffers a slow descent into madness anyways. By using the railroads as an escape method, Lovecraft hints at the idea that tech will always eventually let you down. I might side with this idea because every time I want to play a cool game, my PlayStation has like seven updates, and that doesn't seem like a simple coincidence. But on a serious note, there have been stories of technology failing at critical moments. A Google search of Tesla autopilot accidents is pretty good evidence of that. Interestingly enough, Lovecraft makes some hints to modern technology, deep sea discovering gold. Back then, the ocean was an undiscovered place full of mysterious and grotesque creatures beyond human comprehension. Nowadays, it's still like that. We've only mapped out about 2% of the oceans, and it's that kind of vastness and unknownness that creates the horrors of Lovecraft's Cthulhu mythos, and why it's still effective today. Who knows, there really could be fish-toed creatures that look kinda like humans. The ocean's that undiscovered. Personally, I don't think Lovecraft predicted how vast the ocean is, I think he got frightened by the fact that you can't see the bottom of it from the dock. Which, fair. But his second prediction was pure luck. Gold is mentioned in The Shadow Over Innsmouth several times in reference to the jewelry that the Deep Ones wore. 
The material seemed to be predominantly gold, though a weird lighter lustrousness hinted at some strange alloy with an equally beautiful and scarcely identifiable metal. There's an extra metal in the Deep One's jewelry, but I couldn't really guess what it was, so for now I just want to focus on the gold. Gold is a conductive material that doesn't tarnish easily. Great for electronics that have such a low current that tarnishing or corrosion can disturb it. Now, Google won't tell me when gold was first used in technology, but I do know that they're used in circuit boards and the first circuit boards were developed in 1936, while The Shadow Over Innsmouth was written in 1931. Kinda crazy that the guy who feared technology so much that he hated ACs brought up gold in a novel warning about technology. Or maybe that's just a theory. A game. Lovecraft was, for lack of a better word, kinda nuts, but that doesn't mean he didn't offer any interesting themes in his stories. At the surface, the shadow over Innsmouth looks like the story of a town with evil toad fish people that clearly don't like humans that stick their nose into other people's businesses. But that's only the tip of the iceberg. Lovecraft uses the story's setting and characters to warn the readers about the dangers of technology failing you and knowing too much. Now, I wouldn't recommend thinking in such extremes that Lovecraft does, but it is important to consider the other side of debates. While technology is pretty awesome, there have been incidents where it's failed and severely hurt or even killed people. And while knowledge is an essential thing, people have been known to not take new, or even old, <coughs> anti-vaxxers <coughs> ideas seriously, others have gotten in trouble for knowing too much. Lovecraft had a lot to say. Not saying that what he had to say was important or anything, but he chose to write it out, and that's how he got his collection of works. His main goal is to have people talking about his writing, and seeing that I just spent eight minutes talking about one piece of his, I'd say he did a good job. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to my podcast about The Shadow Over In's Mouth. Um, I had a lot of fun, uh, personally, talking about, you know, crazy people, trains, the ocean... So, you know, thanks for listening to me, and thank you to Connor Nakamura for voicing our narrator. Please check out his YouTube channel, Cottage Row. He's got a lot of really nice music that he makes himself there. And you should also probably check out, you know, the book itself. If you haven't read it, this probably doesn't make too much sense, but read it and then come back and listen to this again. It'll make more sense and you get to listen to me once more. How exciting. Maybe check out some of his other works as well. He's got a lot of them, and they're pretty much available for free everywhere. The site I used was lovecraft-stories.com, so, you know, thanks to them as well. I wanted to say thank you for the folks who allowed me to use their music. I'll be including the link to their music on their respective sites, as well as the licensing, which allows me to use this. I'll also shout them out here as well, so thank you. To David Hallowitz for letting me use the bridge, Horror One. Chad Crouch for using Negentropy, and Kevin MacLeod for using Mesmerize. I really hope I pronounced all of your names correctly. The proper spellings and the links for all this stuff, in case you want to check them out yourself, are available in the description. Well, yeah, my name's Caroline Rupert, and you just listened to All is Fair and Lovecraft and War. Have a good one. <laughs>